Hi everyone, I'm Laura Warnod, and this is the Wonder Workers podcast. Wonder Workers is an interview-based podcast where I invite change makers to talk about their experience, their mission, and drive towards impacting the world, and ultimately to inspire, educate, and empower entrepreneurs, business leaders, and owners, and young people on how they can build together a more sustainable world. This community of wonder workers act behind the scenes to lead the world towards a new era of purpose, self-actualization, and innovation. This is a generation who shows no limits to what they can accomplish, no tolerance for dehumanization, and use their uniqueness as a real power to change the world. We want to invite you, responsible leaders, entrepreneurs, young people, and all other listeners in your quest for purpose to give you too the power to change the world. But having powers alone does not make us superheroes. Even them need allies. It's only when we accept our differences, combine our powers, belong and thrive together that our forces can turn into superpowers. We are Wonder Workers, a community of change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, and aspiring ones who use their superpowers collectively to change the world. So tell me, what are your superpowers? In today's episode of Wonder Workers, I am with Carl Brown, the co-founder of Curve. I met Carl at a Force for Nature event back in 2022. And just to give you a bit of background story, I went to this event being like, okay, if I feel uncomfortable, I'll just, you know, stay for 10 minutes, listen to what they have to say, and then leave. Because I felt like a real imposter going to an event that was about eco-anxiety and the importance of taking care of biodiversity and the environment because I didn't really know how I could contribute to that conversation and I still feel like a real beginner in that field. But I went there with my learner hat really and I wanted to learn something new. And I swear I stayed there for the whole duration of the talk which was two hours long. They brought amazing speakers, including Richard Sabine from the Natural History Museum, who is the principal curator there, and Adriana De Palma, who is a senior researcher there. And it was so interesting. Really, like, it was so interesting and inspiring. And at the end, I just wanted to talk to as many people there and just keep satisfying my thirst for learning and inspiration. And at some point... Carl just came to me so kindly and started asking me questions about my podcast because I, I, I talked about it briefly during the talk and the feeling just came along really quickly. Like we, we got along really well and he just started to tell me more about his new social network called Curve and I found the idea and the concept so interesting and so innovative and so I knew that I needed him in my podcast. So here we are today. And I must say, really, this is one of the most inspiring conversations I had so far. I had literally thrills while listening to Carl's journey and mission. He's really so passionate about what he does. Oh my God, I'm so excited for you to listen to Carl's story and commitments for change. He is such an inspiring change maker. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about Carl. So... Carl is the co-founder of Curve, a social network reimagined. A platform where you don't follow people, you join movements. You don't chase likes, you take action. 
Prior to Curve, Carl worked in gang prevention as a key member of the Growing Against Gangs and Violence initiative. He also worked in behavioral change as a consultant and coach, working with many of the world's largest corporations and as an actor, at one point under the stewardship of Sam Mendes at the National Theatre, most notably working on some of Shakespeare's most iconic works such as King Lear, Romeo and Juliet and Macbeth. He was also the voiceover artist for many movies such as Straight Outta Compton, Jurassic World, Ted 2, Dumb and Number 2, Everest and Hell Caesar. I mean, wow, what a breath and depth of experience. I mean, I am so, 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 so excited for you to hear his, his stories and how everything kind of brought him to Bill Curve. So, yeah, let's jump in. Hi, Carl. Hello. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you so much for being here. Such a, a pleasure to have you on the Wonder Workers podcast. I'm excited to be here. Before we get into the like topics of Curve and talk about Curve, I'd love to know more about your story and who you are really like right from the beginning right from the beginning from yeah birth. or from birth or wherever you want to start <laughs> well, i'll start with the beginning of my career actually because it's been quite a journey so far so i actually i trained as an actor at the Guildhall school of music and drama here in london which was an amazing foundation i think as a person as well as an actor i then left there and worked professionally as an actor for maybe two and a half years or so around that mark did predominantly theater predominantly Shakespeare and had an amazing time but learn I'd say probably within about a week I didn't want to be an actor I'd spent my entire childhood thinking I've got a dream in fact I had a very specific dream my dream was I will be the first actor to play Doctor Who and James Bond <laughs> So hugely ambitious, young that, child. That's a real goal, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Very specific. But how funny then that as soon as I then enter the world, I'm like, oh, actually, no, not for me. And I think the main thing behind it was, wow, everyone is totally self-obsessed mm, <laughs> in this space. Yeah. It's very narcissistic, rightly or wrongly. And of course, that's, that's a generalization, not everyone. But just the overall culture and feeling of being an actor, it felt like that to me at least. And so very quickly, I found myself looking, actively seeking other things that I could do. But I didn't know where to start. Mm. You know, I'd spent my whole life thinking about being an actor or being some form of performer. Mm -hmm. And so weirdly, I got a connection into, albeit I didn't expect it to come, the Metropolitan Police, in which there was an initiative, a specific initiative called Growing Against Gangs and Violence. And this particular project was focused on helping young people who were on the verge of joining gangs not, or those that were already a part of gangs, helping them step away from that world. And so suddenly I, I was like, well, yeah, this sounds interesting. And weirdly, I'm pretty good at it, actually. It was about mentorship. It was about facilitation. It was about helping guide someone's mindset from one space, which is dark, not helpful, not useful, into a more positive mindset of like you can go somewhere here. Like there's opportunities here outside of this circle that you find yourself in right now. It became essentially about behavioral change. And that became my new passion. Like, wow, like changing behavior. That then led to another organization, which was a consultancy called The Pioneers. Amazing people, incredible founder. 
And there I was helping organizations essentially do the same thing. How do they, how do I as a leader change the behaviors of my teams to then build a better, more positive culture? And in doing so also change the feeling and responses and reactions of my customers. How do I read what my customer is thinking or feeling through their behavior? And then how do I change my own behavior to then affect them? And that there was fascinating as well. And I was doing that for a number of different organizations, sort of really on the job coaching, essentially, like working with the manager on the front line as they do their thing and sort of almost like whispering in their ear. <laughs> Have you noticed that this is happening? That sort of thing. <laughs> and then from that, I then got picked up by another company called Working Voices, which was a bit bigger, where it was more sort of global communications consultancy. And I started off as a coach and then it went into a new role of head of innovation, which they created for me because I just kept throwing ideas at the company. <laughs> there I was working with really big and in some ways I probably shouldn't say this live on a podcast, but relatively dirty at times corporates mm. of the likes of HSBC or Barclays or Deutsche Bank or Citibank or, you know, JP Morgan, like huge institutions. And as head of innovation, my role was to create these learning programs for them that would help them get more from their teams, essentially. Like, here's a learning program that's focused on communication skills or on your personal brand or on your productivity levels. And then I guided the company toward really important topics like unconscious bias as well. But whilst I was doing that, I kind of, again, sort of needed to take a step back and think, well, hold on, what, what am I where's my career gone again? Like mm. I wanted to do something impactful here. I wanted to make a difference. And so it was at that point that I then spoke to the founder of Working Voices, this communications consultancy and said, hey, Nick, I think we need to go back to the people. <laughs> Let's do something for the people. And so we created this concept, which eventually became known as Curve, which was all about personal development. How do you take one action for yourself that will make a difference, whether that's an action that will boost your confidence or boost your communication skills or boost your productivity levels or your mindset, whatever it might be. Here is one specific action, a learning curve, if you will, mm. that will make a difference. And so created this cool concept, like prototype, cool, funky videos, <laughs> pitched it to the company. And Nick obviously was very much on board and the rest of the directors of the company were as well. And they're like, cool, let's make it happen. Let's go. And so we started developing the thing. And then just at the point in which we're about to release the little unknown thing of COVID hit. Oh, no, oh, yeah. <laughs> that one. <laughs> mm. And if you put that into the perspective of a face-to-face -face training company, 90% mm. of the work just went in a moment, in a flash. And so obviously, like a off-the-cuff side hustle project like Curve couldn't be funded anymore. And so we did manage to launch it. We got 2,000 downloads in the first couple of months. Feedback was really positive, like 97% positive feedback or something. You know, we had this whole mm. feedback loop in it. Then we had the issue, retention, a word that I hadn't really thought about before <laughs> in my app making world, because I've never been in this space before, where everyone was joining going like, hey, this is cool. And you're thinking, yeah, whoa, we're onto something here. Let's, it's going to fly. It then goes suddenly drops dramatically within mm. a month. Within a month, people are starting and then disappearing. And we thought, oh, we need to do something about this. What mm -hmm. do we do? And so it was at that point we then released it from Working Voices. And we're like, okay, we need to take this on its own path. Where could this go? And that's at that point we realized, hold on, we're actually fighting 
a different battle to what we need to be fighting. But mm. maybe I'll go into that a bit later. Wow, there's so many different experiences. And I feel like at the same time, they're all kind of linked together in some ways in terms of the skills and the situations you've been in. I feel like, you know, starting as an actor, even if it wasn't at the end your dream career or dream job, being an actor was actually a really great training to then you know, be a coach, for example, and kind of be able to talk to people, present your ideas and do behavioral change. I mean, you know, focusing on people, it's great. And I really want to go back to actually, you know, you started saying that your big dream was to be an actor. And then within a week of being there, you realized that <laughs> that wasn't for you. How was the feeling of, you know, I guess, having this big dream, this big goal, and like realizing it, but then at the end being, I guess, kind of disappointed about not reaching your expectation. How did you feel about this? Frustrated, disheartened, lost, not sure where to go, what to do. I, do, I always felt like I, I wanted to do something of meaning and mm. acting was my way of doing that at that point in my life. And so, yeah, it was it was tough. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting for, you know, for, for listeners, maybe you're like for anyone who's listening, who has a dream, like even of being an entrepreneur, you know, it's it's kind of that big, trendy, fancy word at, at the moment. But I think there is this kind of idealization of being an entrepreneur right now. I know that's all that that's what I've always wanted to do. And I know that's something that I'm really happy to be in right now. But I feel like you can also really easily be disappointed by the job because it's not necessarily always the dream that everyone think it is. And so I guess it's interesting to know that as well and kind of see how do you feel when your dream or expectations are not reached at the time and how do you bounce back, I guess. And then, you know, you bounce back working for the Metropolitan Police, for example, which is a completely different sector, but then at the same time, that was useful, right, to be an actor and, you know, then work in that, that space. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a couple of things that come to my mind off of what you've just said there. The first is entrepreneurship is ridiculously difficult. Yeah. And so you can go into it thinking like, oh, yeah, like, I'm living, I'm living the dream. And suddenly you're hit mm. by this blockade, followed by blockade, followed by difficult step, followed by what am I meant to be doing next constantly? Mm. You know, it's hard. And then in regards to the Metropolitan Police and being an actor, <laughs> if you go into that feeling like an outsider, then you're probably giving yourself a disservice because mm -hmm. actually what you're doing is you're going there thinking differently. You're offering something to a, an organization that perhaps haven't considered what you can bring to the table before which means that you can bring great value one of the big learnings i think from the pioneers the consultancy i talked about earlier is we can learn a lot from different ways of working from people that are working in very different sectors to ourselves there'll be something that they're doing either operationally or emotionally or culturally that could be hugely important and be the difference actually mm. in what you're doing in your sector so we should very much keep an open lens to the way that others work and learn from that yeah definitely i think that's something that you also kind of experienced when you were working for the communication consultancy firm as well working voices and like all the programs that you've built for 
employees to improve communication that was also meaningful in in a way i mean to me you know i'm working in the workplace innovation space right now so i'm coaching and consulting with companies to improve their working environment and change people behavior so that they grow in a healthy and thriving environment at work and to me that's that's impactful and 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 meaningful as well so what happened between the moment where you said okay you know you were the head of innovation at working voices i know covid happened and stuff but then what was the turning point when you said okay now i think it's time i go solo and start building curve on my own that really did happen by mistake and i should be clear i it wasn't alone i'm a co-founder mm. and it's it's often in the investment world it's often guided to not go into these things alone but it's made it much more possible and it's it's made it also happen by mistake i actually i don't think there was that point in the journey where i woke up one night and thought this is it <laughs> this is the moment this is my moment <laughs> i'm going alone uh it, that that never really happened instead mm. it was a just a constant passionate chasing of trying to do something important and solve what actually became quite a changing and molding problem being led by the product itself it, essentially it wasn't what do i want to do it was what does this product what does this mission need and that's what then led to 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 the position we're in now and do you think that anyone is born to be an entrepreneur <laughs> or is it something that can be learned oh yeah 100% i'm of the mindset that anyone mm-hmm. could be an entrepreneur however the mindset a growth mindset i basically the opposite of this kind of born with it or not born with it is the important part you have to be able to roll with the punches and adapt yourself and think agilely and move quickly mm. and so all of those things take practice but actually the best way of doing it even if you've never if you wouldn't say you traditionally have those skills or that's part of your mindset in the past you can learn them and you can do it and then the the key thing i'd say and i learned this throughout my career but especially as an actor early doors was resilience mm-hmm. you know like as an actor you turn up <laughs> like the day job is essentially going to auditions and then hoping for the best you know you do a lot of prep work you're like okay you know what this is this is the role for me <laughs> this is it this is my moment and you go into this room and you're like this is this is going to change my life and you turn up at the place and there's like 100 people around you all sitting there the same thing looking at the same script like sort of nervously sat there you go into this room and you like just being stared at by these three <laughs> people or something that just like give you nothing and then you come out literally like 3 minutes later and you think like i don't know how did it did it go well did mm, it not i don't know yeah. and then you don't hear anything or you do hear something but each time you just go again you step up do it again step up do it again with nothing being coming back at you mm. and to deal with that it takes a resilience and i'd say that 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 resilience to keep moving and keep thinking and stay positive and optimistic mm. for where you're going that's the part that perhaps comes with practice not naturally mm. but comes with practice yeah i do agree and i would even add that i think you really really need to have that mission and purpose almost of like the problem that you're trying to solve i think i think it's it's something to you know I mean obviously resilience is so important but you cannot be an entrepreneur to be an entrepreneur. I think you really need to have that 
goal and mission and purpose that's actually going to make you more resilient because each time you're going to fall, you'll have that reason to, you know, show up again and, and stand up. So I think that's also really something important for people who are thinking about, oh, I'd love to have, you know, my own company and be independent and have all that freedom. Yes, there's a good side of it. But then, as you said, there's also the challenges and the adversity sometimes and you need that resilience, but you also need that purpose and mission that's going to keep you going, I think. 100%. Yes. So, so important. Come back to that mission statement. Yeah. What's the problem you are solving? And if that's not clear in your mind, there'll be a moment in which you crack. Yeah, mm. 100%. I think it's also important to show sometimes the, not the bad side, but like the moments where adversity comes in. And I'd love to know from your perspective as, you know, building like a really cool platform and having a team. How do you deal with those moments of, you know, adversities as an entrepreneur, I guess? How do you bounce back? Mm. So not only an entrepreneur, but also father. So mm. I, I mentioned that at this point because as I've got two kids, a wife, a mortgage, <laughs> it puts the pressure on, right? Like suddenly yeah. like what you're doing is no longer just like for you and your cool idea and where you want to go. Instead, like the decisions you're making right now will have a, an effect, a real effect on other people's lives. Like get it right, Carl, get it right. <laughs> And so I mentioned that because that pressure can sit heavy, you know? Mm. And so it's really important that you have outlets to be able to, to deal with that pressure and to come back out the other end. And, and I think any entrepreneur who says like, oh yeah, like I've nailed it, they're lying. <laughs> uh, they're, 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 not, they're not telling the, the real, the deeper truth. I struggle, definitely affects my mental health. I get really down sometimes. I get angry as well. Mm. Especially because in, in the sphere that I'm working in, it, it annoys me that there is something that in my mind is such an obvious problem for society on such a large scale. And it's literally killing people that we are just continuing as normal, mm. like it drives me insane. And so that, I think, makes it difficult. And then you realize you come back to those moments where you almost step, you step aside, you step back. Mm you suddenly realize that, well, actually, me just chilling out and doing a puzzle with my four-year-old yeah. is exactly what I need in this moment. And suddenly that gives me the opportunity to then go, it's okay. Yeah, I feel grounded. Yeah. yeah. And talking. You talked about team. Not doing this alone. E even if you're a, f a, a founder or entrepreneur doing a, you know, your own solo project, you still don't need to do it alone. And so finding your allies, sharing with them, being transparent with them, being honest on where you're going and how you're feeling is huge. No one's expecting you to be a superhero, so don't expect it from yourself. And so there's a change in mindset there. Alongside clarity, I think, clarity of focus, clarity and focus are really important. What are you doing today, specifically? And make that really manageable for yourself, like break it down. Take that massive overarching mission that you've got in your head and go, okay, that's cool, Like, but that can feel a bit overwhelming sometimes. Mm. So what's the step-by-step -step process right now? What's that strategic piece that goes from the holistic place to the grounded, cool, I got stuff to do today mm. moment. And then as you start ticking your way through those simple to-dos that you've broken down for yourself, suddenly you go, yeah, I'm moving. 
And it's that moving that then brings that positivity back. So interesting. What I hear is in times of adversity, you need clarity, focus, a bit of perspective as well, looking after your mental health. Taking moments genuinely for you. Mm. And that isn't sitting down in front of Netflix. That's not giving yourself time. Like, mm. far from it, actually. It's not... It's disabling your brain so maybe you're thinking about that program but it's not actually enabling you to go back to that better calmer space because as soon as that netflix series finishes you're probably then straight onto tiktok until 2 a.m in the morning mm. like that that's not good valuable time for your mental health instead what are the things that actually feed the soul and mm. for me that's making the puzzle with with my daughter for others it'll be something entirely different Uh, and so what are those things for you combined with the allyship, I think is super important to add to that focus and clarity piece. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I think, you know, f for me, in, in my case, when I feel very overwhelmed because the, the piece you talked about around having that mission and purpose, like I feel it in my bone. And sometimes, as you said, it's really hard to break down to something that it's a little bit more tangible and feasible on a day-to-day -day or week by week or or whatever. And when I feel too overwhelmed by the amount of things that either I need to do or I want to do, uh, all the things that I want to achieve, I also need to kind of put all my thoughts on, on paper. So writing is also for me something that helps me purge me somehow and kind of ground me and helps me start fresh on you know the next day or or whatever so i think yeah it's so important to have those kind of mechanism when you're an entrepreneur or even whenever when you feel overwhelmed in your work yeah definitely so we're gonna be talking a little bit more about curve but going to that topic what is it that drives you today like what's your quest or like purpose The world is dealing with a massive, major, global pandemic of a problem. We're all using it every single day, for hours on end for some of us. And we are all pawns in a system that is manipulating us for their own benefit. And that is the world of social media. It's pretty. It's addictive, that's for sure. We, we all understand that. And it gives us something that we think we need. But in return, we are divided as a society. We can go into the details here. So let's give it a bit of a backdrop. So it started off as social networks, of course. We all know and remember perhaps uh, Facebook, you know. Still here, of course, but yeah. there was a time in its heyday, uh, and that was, you know, simple. It was friends connecting with friends. You know, mm. that was that was what it was. And then it went into more social media, in which suddenly we could have connections into people we didn't know, and it became about getting messages out there to friends of friends. And then we had this situation in which we turned to recommendation media, mm. in which suddenly we could get a message out, and it had the potential to reach tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people if we worked the algorithm appropriately. Suddenly it became about going way beyond just sharing a message. And with that, to make that happen, we became obsessed by this concept of likes and of follows. And that's that model of chasing likes and chasing follows led itself beautifully into 
a system that was essentially built to sell advertising. That That's what they, they mm. are driven by right now is how do I get you to be addicted to this feed, to spend as much time as possible on this feed so you'll see as many ads as possible in return, give, put money in my pocket. And so recommendation media was born from that because suddenly it was an algorithm play. It was how do I give you the next video that will keep you hooked and then the next video and then the next video and then the next video. And why on earth would I remove misinformation or disinformation if actually this is driving up engagement, look at that, that controversial tweet. If I click, oh my gosh, what did Andrew Tate say? I'm gonna <laughs> tap on that. Suddenly that thing, lovely, that's brilliant for what we're doing, right? Mm. Why would I remove hate speech? Really, I, I, maybe I can do it enough just to help our PR, but why would I genuinely have a direct strategic plan to remove hate speech from this platform when it thrives? It flourishes. It brings, drives up engagement in a way that no other things do. Anger drives far quicker than any other emotion on social media. So why, why would we remove that? It's, it will have a ne negative effect on our bottom line. Bots, fake accounts, right? We had the, the whole thing for those that were interested. They would have noticed that whilst Elon Musk was buying Twitter, it stalled for months and months and months because apparently he didn't know that there were fake accounts on Twitter. <laughs> Apparently so. Now, that is a real scary thing, actually. We're talking, you know, they were talking about 5% or something. It's definitely higher. Yeah. And what's scary about that is that a lot of those are the things that are driving what is so dangerous for the 13-year-old mm. who has joined social media, spending literally hours of their day on social media and is determining whether they have value, whether they are worth something based on the comments mm. and the likes that they are receiving or not receiving mm. on the content that they feel they have to share on a platform where they are trying to follow a culture set by those that are the most controversial. I mean, it's madness. Mm. Combined with the fact that you're then working all of this in a system that is built for addiction and is all the all the numbers despite you know what they might say in government and literally government are trying to take them down they're nowhere near achieving their goals we're talking about a scenario that there'll be 800 billion made by 2026 in this industry and all of that is through you us as users you know that's where it's coming from 99 percent of facebook's revenue is through advertising and then of course we go into privacy Right. So how do I how do I make sure you're addicted to this system, first of all? And second of all, how do I make it as likely as possible for you to then click on these ads? Well, I need to know everything about you. I'm going to do the best I possibly can to understand your psyche in a way that you as a person don't even realize. And then, of course, when we actually think about it, it's manipulating our minds. TikTok, prime example. TikTok doesn't give you what you want. TikTok gives you what you'll watch. And that's a very important distinction. It also leads to more controversy and more extremism, YouTube in particular. You could start off in one particular space where you watch a video because it's grabbed your attention. And then suddenly the, the next video is the same topic, but a bit deeper, a bit more controversy because that's the thing that's triggered the algorithm. And then it goes deeper again and deeper again. And suddenly you can take someone from a sort of an open mindset and then suddenly really refocus what they believe mm. even you know it can go that deep and that can happen a number of studies have done it that can happen within hours 
of mm. you using these systems. And we're talking about hours per day mm. people are using these systems. So you ask me, what's the, what's the problem that I'm trying to solve? Well, all of that combined, actually, combined with the fact that the world, if you haven't noticed, is burning. Yeah. Society is crumbling and dividing. One word I didn't mention just then is polarization. Of course, because of these algorithms, we are being sent more things that essentially confirm what we were already thinking, confirmation bias. So I may think, you know, you take the political perspective of left or right. I'm thinking in a more right-sided manner or left-sided manner. I'll be then sent more content, more information focused on that particular sector. And each time it goes more and more extreme, which means you're going further away from the center on both sides. And then, of course, that creates a binary thinking of you are right or I am right. Sorry, you are wrong. Mm. It's a yes or no scenario. There's a lack of empathy. And through that, you're then creating a a culture in which no one can get on anymore across the dining room table, let alone across the, the digital sphere. And then, of course, that leads to situations like we had with Trump, in which you have mighty supporters and mighty community completely against. And that there is dangerous for society and being driven hugely by social media. And so it's dangerous for democracy as well. I could keep going, couldn't I? But yeah, I better pause. No, but, but yeah, it's so so interesting. I could listen to you for hours talking about it, and there's so many interesting things that you talked about here. First one being this addiction thing. I feel like we all are addicted to social media, but why are we, as human beings, and that's a question I don't have the answer, but I'm always wondering, why, as human beings, are we always so driven by harmful, shocking, violent content. I don't feel I'm driven by that, but I feel the world is, and I don't understand, I don't understand that. I don't understand why people need those kind of content to feed on their own, I don't even know what it is, but kind of vicious curiosity or something. I don't get that. And mm. I'm wondering if there's a way, you know, I, I thought about, I don't know, I had an idea like, being, you know, if we removed all the harmful content or if we created just a platform kind of like you're doing, but less innovative than that, but just not having any negative, harmful, violent content on the platform, would people actually use it? And if not, why, <laughs> you know, because we are all as you said, struggling about so much different stuff right now, following the pandemic. And, you know, as you said, the world is burning and there's already so much anxiety in our daily life, but also in our environment. So why do we, when we have time, I guess, free time, do we need to feed ourselves with even more anxiety? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things to say here. The, the first is to remember that the system is taking advantage of that human nature. You know, it's the it's the same thing as if you're driving down the motorway and there's a crash on the other side. Mm. All the cars slow down because they have to have a look. They need to check in. It's it's the same thing. Of course, it, it grabs attention. It's that's ingrained in our human nature. Mm. What's what's scary though is when you then build a system that is then wanting to make money through that 
and therefore you've you you've created a, a scenario in which you have the individual and your willingness and wantingness to not slow down at the accident and to be the good citizen that that keeps the the, the traffic moving you have a hundred engineers on the other side of the motorway going woohoo no honestly you need you need to look at this like honestly like come over here like this this is where you need to be look at this look at this thing <laughs> don't keep driving stop this is be here for as long as possible take pictures whilst you're at it like that you've mm. got an army of engineers figuring out a design to make that happen for you you're then relying on a human response that is not useful for society to generate your revenue. There are other things though. There are other innate parts of our psyche that are focused genuinely on community. And we can call social media social media, but it isn't. It's it's media. They've, in fact, we've removed the social part of social media today. Community is not built on social media. Followings are. And so instead, can we breathe into social media again a sense of people coming together, community being built. And that there will bring out a different perspective of your human psyche. It would make you go, oh no, I come here for that. Taking action, doing something, as we talked about before, like how do I come back to the optimism? How do I mm. survive as an entrepreneur? Well, doing things mm. is really important. Finding my allies is really important. Social media can be used to achieve those goals and give you what you need as a human being in a way that's just as powerful as staring at the accident. But it's far, far healthier, and we know it, for you as a person, but also for community and society at scale. And so this isn't about saying that doesn't exist. Of course it does. But isn't there another way? And that doesn't mean we remove the controversy entirely, because that's you're setting yourself up there for failure. It, that's just not possible. But what is the platform and the system guided by? That's what's important. What are people striving for? That's where it's key. That's where you can build a model and design a system that actually works for society as opposed to using society against itself. And so I guess the natural next question is, how is Curve different from that and what's the mission of Curve then? The key difference with Curve is that you don't follow people, you join movements mm -hmm. and you don't chase likes, you participate, you take action, you get involved with the movements that you love. In doing so what you create is a, is a model which isn't focused on you, instead it's much more focused on what are the things I care about and how do I get involved with them. And that there then creates a very different experience and culture as a platform. But even more so than that, it also creates a different system. The metrics change. Like as an individual, as a grassroots community, or as a brand or organization, instead of chasing likes, views, follows. Because let's be honest, what does that really mean? Mm. What do you actually get from that? We've been manipulated, hypnotized yeah. into the fact programmed that, yeah, programmed yeah. to think that that is, oh, well done you. People double tap to phone. Mm. Instead, the metric becomes, how do I get people to do something, to get involved? And that becomes the driver of the algorithm. If you then combine that with what we're calling the anti-echo chamber effect, in which the movements that are most successful at getting people outside of their normal circles to participate, 
those are the ones that are highlighted and amplified. You create an inclusive, accessible, and diversified proactively feed. And that there is powerful and a great experience. So there's that side. There's also the safety side. Now, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok will say like, well, we've got very good values and uh, we want people to be kind. <laughs> uh, of course, they're going to say that. But the results, the reality of it is that that is not the case. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the number of teenage suicides that we have today that are just being swept under the carpet. We wouldn't know the fact that Facebook have done these studies. They know the negative impacts they're having on the mental health of, of children and yet continue. In fact, not only that, develop on what they are currently doing. Of course, they're not going to change because it affects their bottom line so much. Their, their hands are tied. They can't do anything about it, even if they wanted to. Or what if, and we can do this now in, in hindsight, where we can learn from their failures. Or what if there was a system that was designed specifically to be that safer space? And that can only happen today, right? We can learn from, from yesterday. And in tomorrow, the reason you join Curve, the reason you join a social media platform like this, a fresh one, an innovative one, is because, oh, look, like this space actually stays true to their values they have to do that and that's the reason for growth that's the reason i hang around and i don't go to the others it's because it gives me that culture that the others cannot do even if they wanted to they're just not in a position anymore to be able to do it we have to start again in mm -hmm. regards to that if you couple that principled effect with verification which is something we haven't talked about yet that could be huge now there has been conversation in the social media space about whether you should or should not verify people. We are very much in the camp that you should. This is why. Take Twitter. You could send a controversial tweet out to someone and send abuse again and again. You'd literally spend your whole day, and people literally do this, spend their entire day just sending abuse from person to person to person to person to person. Some people are paid to do that exact job, right? As part of disinformation campaigns. Now, Twitter would be like, oh, suddenly people are complaining about this. We better do something about it. They're always reactive as opposed to proactive in this. And then well, they might remove that account. What are you actually removing? You're removing a fake account in the first place that's just essentially an email address. Mm. So then they'll just start another one. Someone could have several accounts all at the same time sending abuse constantly. And this is happening all of the time, right? As soon as you bring in verification, you dramatically raise the bar on what is possible regarding those sorts of abuses. Combined with the fact that suddenly we're in a position then to be able to, if someone is misusing our platform, literally doing things illegal, which is happening every day on social media, you're then in a position to then go, cool, well, let's, let's pass this information on to the appropriate authorities. Then suddenly we're a space where if you're looking to misuse social media, chances are they're going to be thinking, you know, do you know what? I'm going to go back to, mm. to that blue bird, I think, instead. <laughs> I think I'm going to go back there because right here, this, this is a bit more dangerous. This isn't a space for me to play in. And of course, we're not going to be angels. Of course not. There will be issues that will come our way, no mm. doubt. But my goodness, there is a far better way than the way we've all got used to right now, which is far healthier and far safer. And that's exactly the direction that we're going in. So... There lies, I think, a number of different nuanced pieces to this puzzle that, if put together, could do something really, really quite impactful. I love what you said about the importance of diversity of community, because when 
when you talked about like all the other social media and the content that is created to kind of make us fit into one box or like one way of thinking, you know, you, you click on the content and then you are recommended something else because you're triggered by that and then you end up being in a funnel of really negative, harmful content and kind of closing your minds to all the other possibilities. And I think that's almost the most important thing right now because what we're seeing a lot about on the news, in the media and all that hate and we are actually going backward because of that. And I think this is so dangerous and that's one of the reasons why I also love Curve. It's because all the community that you have really, even if it's not yet so huge, it's real, kind, purpose-led people who are really trying to make a difference and connect with other people who share that same passion or cause. And I think that's so, so important to change that because we are really going to the wrong direction with those other social media and, and the content that we're stuck into. And that echo chamber effect that we feel individually is also enforced by a system which is all about you getting mm. followers. Yeah. You are forced to go and think individually. How do I achieve these followers so I can have an impact and get likes, which then in theory turn to impact? We, we know that that isn't There's the case. There's no and impact. There that. is no <laughs> impact. And nor is that the way that we're going to achieve the goals we need to achieve. If you take a broad and hugely scary subject like climate change or climate disaster, we need to act collectively. And at the moment, we're still all working within a system which directly silos us. How can we instead build a system that proactively brings us together, makes movements work together? That there is, is a very important part of how social media could be utilized to drive change as opposed to self-advertising. No, definitely. And we'll, we'll come back to that. But you also talked about that notion of safety and like mental health, not only because of obviously the harmful content that we have on those platforms and all the, you know, 13, 14, 15 year old teenager who are looking at that content. But even from a kind of screen time and kind of scrolling perspective, this kind of constant need of feeding your dopamine with that tool or that platform is so bad. I mean, I, I feel it on my mental health and I know that it's it's something quite common. And I like, I think you talked about it on LinkedIn. You posted something about the increased rate of suicide among 15, 19 years old because of all the harmful content in, you know, social media usage and I'm wondering you know how what is Curve trying to do differently what are you doing to tackle that yeah so th those suicides will come through a combination of cyberbullying and echo chambers in which they have shown a slight interest in a particular topic and then the algorithm has picked up on that and then sent more and more of the same 
with each time it getting more and more extreme, which has then led to them perhaps thinking or feeling like they should do something like kill themselves. And there is plenty of content online right now, today, there'll be many people watching content right now, teenagers, that is essentially telling them, kill yourself. And then that will then be backed up by comments from people that they do not know, it's probably a fake account that can't really be attached to a human being telling them to kill themselves. So there are teenagers, vulnerable teenagers, killing themselves. That's happening. So all of the things we, we talked about previously can not remove that, but my goodness me, it could have a hugely positive impact on, on getting rid of a lot of that issue. That cyberbullying piece, you can you can remove that in a way that other platforms are, are, are not. On the algorithm piece, you can design an algorithm that is both a solid, good experience for you as an individual, but does not send you down those rabbit holes. It is possible. You can create a system in which you don't feel alone, that you are together within communities. And you can create a model in which those kind of accounts don't even exist. You can. We are doing some of those things now and we are definitely going to be doing those things as we move forward. So there lies, I think, not only uh, an opportunity for a disruptor like, like us to step in and, and you know try and solve something, but there lies also an opportunity to do something that's really important for society. And when I think about, as I said earlier, I'm a father, I've, I've got two kids, four-year-old and a two-year-old. Mm. I've already seen my four-year-old on TikTok with her cousin. A cousin who's like eight years old. My, my brother comes into the house, eight-year-old's already on, on TikTok or sort of steals the phone to be on TikTok and then shows Sienna. I walk into the kitchen and see my, the cousin like doing a TikTok dance and then saying like to Sienna, like, come into this. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> What's going on here? Like, yeah. stop, stop that right now. Yeah. That there is, is sort of the future before it's hit, hit us. That's what's coming. Yeah. Do, do I want my daughters scrolling at 2 a.m. in their own siloed world, being fed whatever the algorithm thinks is, is appropriate for this person? Definitely not. Mm. And so I bring that up because actually this is a, a, a personal thing mm. with actually, if you start again, a structure that is very possible. It's nowhere near as easy for them. Them changing is, is difficult. That's gonna be tough. And you know, you've heard there have been interviews with engineers from these major corporates that essentially are saying, well, I don't know how the algorithm works. <laughs> like, it's kind of its own world. Yeah. It, it takes care of itself. So that, and that's- it, that's, that's scary. That is scary, <laughs> yeah. right, isn't it? Yeah. And yet here we are, we're all still feeding the beast. We need the disruption to come and it will, and it will come. The world is waking up. Mm -hmm. I just hope they wake up in time. When is it going to stop? Like, what is actually going to happen to make it stop? I feel like there is a huge accountability issue. We are not holding the people responsible for that accountable for what they're doing on society. And I don't understand why. Like, it's so bad. Like, as you said, I think... What you just said, Nad, is not something new to people. Like, we've heard about it. We know it. So why is nothing being done about it? Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hence curve. So, yeah. you know, there was a realization in which you, you, 
you come to the conclusion of these companies are not, they're not going to change. Over the years, there have been countless times where there have been campaigns of like, Instagram, go back to what you used to do and that sort of thing. Like, mm. it's not going to happen. Let's just be clear about that. They're not going to change. Governments have tried their best to try and bring a stop to I say they tried their best. Let's maybe not go with best. Mm. They've tried, mm. especially in America. Nothing's changed. And so instead of relying on, on them to, to come up with a solution for this, well, let's do it the way that change has always happened. Mm. Do it ourselves through grassroots-led movements, mm. people power. And change does happen that way. When I think about it now, I think you're right. It's all the big changes that we've seen happening in the last decades, even from you know social media perspective, when Facebook and Instagram came in, that was because that was such an innovative way or an innovative platform or technology to kind of communicate with people. And I think, as you said, I think coming in with a new, different platform with a different mission is really innovative and probably the only way to kind of, you know, make those old, dusty organization just go outdated. Give them something better. Yeah. You know, what's powerful and TikTok as... Well, TikTok was a disruptor. TikTok came in, did something different and took the world by storm, powered, of course, by Chinese government. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, mm -hmm. it's funded by the Chinese government, essentially, which is a scary thought mm -hmm. in itself. Mm -hmm. Now, there, though, does lie the opportunity, right? These things can happen. We can pretend that they don't, but actually there is an opportunity for something to really step up as long as the model, the design, the intention is correct. And at the moment, I think we're in a situation in which there are other social platforms out there that are trying, but essentially are coming at it with a what if we were Instagram, but with morals. Mm. The mm. issue is deeper than that, far, far deeper. There's an intrinsic system which you can dive deep enough and then come up. It's a slower process, of course it is, to then to then make this work. But then you can actually solve the problem here and with it bring out the opportunity of utilizing social media to drive genuine change. And so you talked about the business model of those apps and what you're trying to do here with Curve is completely different. So how does your app can earn money then if it's not from advertising yeah so hugely important right if yeah. you if you build a revenue model that then goes against your your morals or your values yeah, exactly. you're, you're going in one direction that's no the wrong point. one yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have to build a revenue model that supports the mission and our mission is to support and mobilize movements and change makers to drive change so how do we then build a revenue model that can do just that we've got a three-pronged route to market the first is a subscription model in which you as an individual you can choose to subscribe i.e., support and pledge to movements that you choose to pledge to and, and su support mm -hmm. that then gives you the opportunity to financially back that movement as well as take action as a part of that movement as well an example of this would be like i don't know if you get this but i i sometimes get knocks on the door and i'll open the door and there'll be some 
lovely human being with the biggest of smiles, wearing some sort of coat, usually in the rain, uh, <laughs> going, oh, hello, hi, I'm from X Charity, and uh, I'm, and I want to just tell you a quick story. Have you got a minute? Have you got a minute? Mm-hmm. And I always give them a minute, of course, because mm-hmm. they're such lovely people. And then they tell me the story, and I'm like, well, I'm in love now, so I, I definitely I need to support what mm-hmm. you're talking about. And so then I give my five, 10, 15 pounds, whatever it is per month. And then after that moment, a few months later, you're like, I've done that now three, four times. Um, I really need to... I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> We're giving away too much money here. <laughs> Combined with the fact that I've lost touch. Mm. You're probably sending me an email. Definitely not looking at it. And you're probably sending me something in the post that I don't want to open. And so mm-hmm. I lose touch with the story. I don't feel connected to your story. And I'm going to stop my donation pretty quickly because of that. Instead, with this subscription model, you're in a situation in which you can specifically choose what you want to support, but also be a part of that story, see their story, feel and be a part of that story with them. And Curve would enable that to happen. So there's something really quite powerful about that. The second part is a amplification model. Every single movement on Curve goes through a check-in process first to make sure it aligns with our values. That means that there'll be a point in which we have thousands, thousands of movements on Curve, and there might be certain movements that want to stand out for particular moments or particular campaigns. What we'll run is a feature model in which then you as a movement can then choose to be featured, that there aligns with our values, but also generates revenue. And then the third part is an alignment model and this is where this is definitely last because this is where it could come with some difficulty. But there's also amazing opportunity. We'll take one of the movements we already have. Find the Wild is a movement on Curve right now. And it's a, a wonderful community of people that love getting outdoors. Now, there is definitely an organization, a brand out there. Let's take a classic like Patagonia that will think, well, these are our people. We want to support this movement. But instead of just posting a picture or video on a feed that then gets double tapped, instead, how do I become a partner for this movement where I can financially support and back the people that are behind it and doing it and making it happen, but also run initiatives with them, run events with them, like become an actual sponsor of what they are doing in a way which drives action because the action is the engagement on this platform and in doing so raise awareness of what we're doing and be associated in a part of something that aligns with our values that there gives opportunities for the brands to do something that they cannot do anywhere else whilst simultaneously removing this idea of greenwashing for that to be possible you would need the check-in process of course for movements but you'd also need the check-in process for the brands and that's where i see the complications happening Mm -hmm. one thing you don't want is a scenario in which you have coca-cola sponsoring cop Mm-hmm. Far no. from it. Yeah, yeah, that's not the point. Yeah, they're the two potential opportunities for revenue that becomes a revenue split between the movements. So the movements themselves thrive financially mm. as well as through um, active engagement, combined with the fact that we can then generate revenue that then goes back into the system to support more movements. So smart. <laughs> I mean, there yes, there's so much opportunities here, and I think that just all makes sense. And it's it's just I mean, I I've used the platform so far and. I think it's it's an amazing, it's really an amazing platform. And I'm saying it from the bottom of my heart. I think I've used other platform than Instagram and so on. And I think just Curve just makes sense. And it's just so positive. You feel safe when you're on Curve. And all the content that you see is actually reassuring and 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 positive and you don't get out of the 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 platform feeling you know anxious or 
I don't know, down or depressed because you've been comparing yourself to other people's life and stuff, you're actually seeing positive movements happening, people being passionate about their cause or even their passion. I've seen, you know, people building movements around books and food. And so it doesn't have to be something huge. It can also be just something that you're passionate about and that you want to share with a wider community. Mm, and that's really important. I'm yeah. glad you picked up on that because if we create a system in which only climate activists can thrive, yeah. Yeah. we're creating another echo chamber. Yeah, and also you create a bit of, I guess, I mean, I see the intention here, but I feel the people are not yet all ready to not just be part of that, but do not necessarily feel all legitimate to talk about climate change and, and all those stuff. I mean, I definitely see it even if I'm learning and I'm interested and I want to learn more about that as you said I think if it was only about that I would feel a bit like imposter syndrome like ooh, like I'm interested but I don't see how I can contribute to that so I think yeah I think it's perfectly well thought and yeah I hope it will go for the best moving forward and I'd love to know what what's next then for Curve well, we, it's clear, actually. So yeah. we're in a position in which our attention is really strong. Uh, we feel that we've, we've, we're onto something really quite cool here. And of course, there are issues, right? There are still bugs. There are still We're still right at the beginning of what feels like a big developmental journey. Mm -hmm. But we've got something here, right? And so what we need is more people. We need people to be a part of this mission, to participate in this mission, to help prove this model is possible in a thing. And then at that point, we're going to be looking out for impact led investors who can join us on this journey and really kick it into overdrive and help us genuinely take on the big boys and girls. So that there, well, actually I say big boys and girls, it's definitely just the big boys. And so that there is 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 the journey we're on. And that's the key part is if, if, if you have listened to this and thought, hmm, mm. intriguing, come be a part of it with us. This is our time. This is the moment. And my goodness, don't we need it? Wow. I mean, I have thrills. <laughs> no, I'm so excited for, um, I'm so excited about you and Curve and, and, and the team. I think, I think it's great. It's really amazing what you're trying to build here. So I wish you all the best. And I mean, I'm going to keep pushing and trying to use the app and encourage people to use it. And I think, you know, as you said, for everyone who is listening, if you find that intriguing, interesting and you know, there's not so many people on the platform yet. So it's a huge opportunity for people to actually come with their unique passion, interest or cause that they want to create and engage people around. I think it, there's a huge opportunity now. So I think, yeah, it's uh, amazing. Well, since we're getting to the end of the, um, the podcast, there's two signature questions that I always ask my, my guests. So first one. You know, the podcast is called Wonder Workers. I think you've heard about the idea and, and the concept. And after all we talked about today, what would you say is your superpower? You know, there's a saying that I like to live my life by, and that is fail, fail again, fail better. I think the greatest thing you can do, whatever you do, whatever scenario or industry you work in, is just to keep getting back up, to not be afraid of failure, in fact, to embrace failure and be courageous to always keep trying. 
And that's something that I think I've managed to do up to this point, And I really hope I can continue to do moving forward. Amazing. Love it. <laughs> and last question, who would you like to hear from next in this podcast? Oh, who would I like to hear from? I would love to hear from Tom Greenwood. For those that don't know who Tom Greenwood is, he runs an organization called Whole Green Digital. And he was one of the pioneers in the space of, did you know that what you do online has a digital footprint, a carbon footprint attached to it? As the, the world is obviously extremely te technological based already, and it's going to become even more so. The data that we all hold has huge amounts of carbon attached to it. We have to do something about that as a societal problem. And Tom Greenwood is, is out there making stuff happen in that space. So to, to hear more about his journey, mm. well, I think would be really interesting. Mm, great. Well, I'll make sure to send him a note. <laughs> Contact him. That sounds really interesting. Well, Cal, thank you so much for this great conversation. I mean, I feel I've learned a lot. I feel really inspired by your journey, your mission. I mean, I feel the passion when you talk about Curve and, and, and the purpose and, and the idea behind it. So, yeah, I feel really inspired. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye. Follow the Wonder Walkers podcast so that every two weeks you can get notified when a new episode is out. And I must say, if you don't, that's okay. But that would be a big miss because we have more inspiring and powerful guests to come. So let's meet up in two weeks for a new episode of Wonder Walkers, a podcast that transports you into the world of our modern change catalysts and empowers you too to change the world. This podcast is created and hosted by me, Laura Warnod, founder of The Culture Cabinet. Thank you to Content is Queen for producing the podcast. But above all, thank you for listening. See you soon.